Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 59 of the Deep South Dharma podcast to be released on Sunday, July 5th. The topic this week is more on wise action, continuing our reflections along the Eightfold Path. And before we get into the talk for this week, I want to let you know that a very wise action particularly if you are a self-identified white woman or if you love someone who is, um, is to go to heartwoodrefuge.org to check out the retreat page and look at information about my upcoming online retreat called Meet the Manager, Overcoming Delusions of Racism. Under the retreat description, you can also find out information about the uh, Emira Foundation Contemplative Fellowships And uh, if your full-time work involves service to the world, you may find that you are eligible for one of the scholarships. It has a very extensive list of those who are eligible. Last week's podcast, I I name a good number of uh, examples, so I won't repeat that here, but I would really invite you to join us for this experience. And the details, again, can be found at heartwoodrefuge.org retreats. The title of the retreat is Meet the Manager, and we'll be doing it online together. So as I said earlier, this talk has to do with more on wise action, Um, a reflection that in some places you'll see overlaps a bit with with our talk a couple of weeks ago on wise intention when we get into the development of meta, of unconditional goodwill. We're looking at wise action right now in this week's talk as we think about dealing with difficulty, especially as we consider how to deal with difficulties in our own minds through Dharma practice. So just a reminder that most of the people, places, and things that we consider difficult are not difficult in and of themselves. So that's most. I realize there are some some things that are universally difficult for people, but Most people, places, and things that we consider difficult are difficult in and of themselves. And the proof of this is that for almost everything that we consider difficult, we can find someone who does not find it difficult. They may find it unpleasant or not. They may find it even pleasant or completely neutral. But no matter how they find it, they don't necessarily suffer over it. Now, there are, as I said, a few experiences considered universally difficult, things like the the decline that occurs as we age, the pain of sickness, 
our encounters with death and cruelty, being separated from what we don't like, having to be with, excuse me, separating from what we do like, what we do prefer and enjoy, and or feeling forced to be with what we don't like. But even these can be experienced without adding extra suffering by those who are skillful. In fact, this is what Dharma practice is all about. Through the Dharma, we have some very practical tools passed down to us from a man whose conventional name, his original name, was Siddhartha Gautama. He was a real person and not a deity. He awoke out of suffering by letting go of delusions of self. And this is why after he woke up, when asked who he was, he answered with what he was. He didn't say, I'm Gotama. He said, I am awake. Not a noun and not even always an adjective, but a verb describing action, awakening. To awake is to stop sleepwalking, to stop being a mindless heap of reactions that can be hooked by pleasure or repulsed by pain. And instead, to experience an ongoing process of mindfully choosing what mind states to cultivate and nourish and what to allow to dry up and blow away. Now, of course, the Buddha's given name was still familiar to people. It was a convention people could use to locate him and his teachings. They would talk about Master Gotama or But his experience, um, his experience, which was expressed when he was asked for his identity, was there is only awakening here. Without internal identification with Gotama as a thing or a being that can suffer, there was no longer suffering. Yet Gotama the awake operated in the world as teacher and spiritual friend. For 45 years after letting go of that identity. Teaching not only those who sought to awaken, but also having the compassion to teach those who had little interest in awakening in the sense of going beyond identity, of going beyond suffering, but just people that wanted to know how to live well with others, with, with less suffering. So to get specific here, I want to say a bit about the difficult mind states that bear fruit that lead to suffering besides identification or as a result of identification. These are referred to as passing, excuse me, as passion and aversion in the suttas um, and in Sutta 78 specifically that we studied last week. In our day, we most often refer to aversion in terms of anger. And it can be challenging to sort through Buddhist teachings about this subjects. Um, I remember when I was doing some study with this, in the, in, in, within the same week, I heard or read from different teachers two extremes about what they taught that, quote, Buddhists believe. Um, and so one teacher was saying that there are no negative emotions that emotions are just experiences and and there's no such thing as a, an emotion that's negative in and of itself. And then 
the other teacher, another teacher in that same week that I read, uh, taught that Buddhists should have a zero tolerance policy where one's own anger is concerned. So it can be confusing, or maybe it, it just is, to begin to find your way with this. And I think it's helpful to get clear about our terms. Because just as the word desire is often translated from words that are that can be defined as craving or as aspiration, and so we have to know what original terms are we dealing with, we also may find that anger resulting from mindless aversion is more accurately named hostility or ill will. That's whether it's directed toward others that we find difficult because of our own skill level or whether we point it toward ourselves with the delusion that self-loathing will somehow whip us into shape. Hostility is the problem. Hostile thoughts, words, and actions cause harm to ourselves and to others. But there is an anger without hostility, what one writer called a holy no. That energy can carry us out of being ruled by fear, and it can propel us out of abusive situations without ill will toward those who have abused. It can be the enthusiasm that says the time is now. The time is now. Um, No more of this. So it can be time for freedom from unskillful habits and resolves that have enslaved us or freedom from oppressive systems. The trouble is it's so easy to fool ourselves. We may think that we're enthusiastically abandoning harm when what we're doing is thrusting hostility and ill will toward other beings, whether out of hatred for them or hatred for ourselves. And, you know, we've seen this sometimes in the, sometimes in the, in the social media discourse from people who their intention, uh, apparently their intention is is to stand in solidarity with black and brown people in this country. They want to voice their solidarity, but they'll they'll make a strong statement of support and then a statement of aversion or ill will. Go ahead and unfriend me if you want to. One of my Dharmacharya brothers actually wrote about this. Um, He went through a stage of this and sort of came to the other side of this and realized um, that that actually was not carrying out the bodhisattva ideal that he is working to live. And so um, and so he 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 had a, a major change in the tone of how of his discourse around this that is more inviting to people and allows for connection. So very often, you know, when we live like that, everything starts to seem threatening, right? If we even, you know, and it's useful to look at, I want to hold to the enthusiasm of the holy no with the attitude of a mother who is not willing to let one of her children harm another one of her children. 
that sort of holy no that steps in and says, stop right there, um, but doesn't seek to eliminate or cancel or cast out either of her children. The Buddha is said to have trained students in the the Buddha is said to have trained that that this is why the Buddha trained his students in uh, meta practice because the world starts to feel threatening and the the meta is a Pali word that is translated as goodwill as loving kindness that's the polar opposite of aversion. Right, aversion, whether it's aversion as anger or aversion of as fear. Meta unbounded in all directions helps to heal fear and hostility. Moving away from harmful thoughts, words, and deeds is then motivated not by hostility, but by love for all concerned. With meta for all, anger becomes the energy, the motivating, the, the energy that can motivate a wise separation from unskillful thoughts and habits and resolves. Now I want to address the word passion as it's used in the Sutta also. In our culture, that word passion often conveys something beneficial, a gratitude or enthusiasm for life, um, dedication that energy that helps us stay committed through a dry spell or through hard times. So when we read in the sutta or, or any of the suttas really that talk about the danger of passion, it may be more helpful to use the word lust to pinpoint that flavor of selfish ego-based craving that the Buddha is pointing to. The lust for experiences at any cost for for accumulating possession of things for ownership of people as if they were things to possess and use for our own amusement just as aversion seeks separation from harm unwisely through delusions about the origins of harm lust seeks to join unwisely so I'll say that again aversion seek separation from harm, but it does it unwisely in a way that is where we are shooting out anger and fear into the world. And one of the things that we know about karma is that it's like the law of physics, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So when we want to separate ourselves from our own harmful thoughts, habits, actions, speech, and, and, harmful systems, we want to do that without putting that force of anger, that force of fear that that boomerangs on us. We want to separate wisely. Again, with the attitude of a mother separating one child from another to prevent harm. So just as aversion seeks separation from harm unwisely, lust seeks to join unwisely. How often do we see this situation where someone is is trying to gain light for themselves by possessing another person who has that light? This mind state arises out of a fundamental ignorance of things as they are. 
Um, I really got to see this in my work several years ago with um, with a really brave man, actually, um, who 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 grew to be a really brave man. He eventually woke up to the painful realization that he was not a star-crossed lover, but a stalker. Um, this was a person in residential treatment that was um, coming into contact with legal consequences for his um, behaviors. And he really came to that realization that in his behavior, he was he was a stalker and that the woman he sought to join with was right to avoid him, that it was wise of her to avoid him, which was a really um, hard pill to swallow for him. But he came to see that he was seeking to express certain qualities in his own life, which he believed he lacked. He believed that he did not have it within him to cultivate certain qualities. And he perceived that he perceived her to be someone expressing those qualities. And he wanted, he realized he was trying to obtain those qualities in himself by joining with her, joining his life with hers, whether she wanted that or not. Um, And moreover, he came to the recognition that he was so far from loving her that he actually hated her for not allowing him to have that light, the relationship in the way that he wanted to have it. So this example may seem extreme, but I would bet that most of us have had the experience at least in middle or high school, but maybe beyond that, of craving to be in with a certain group of people because we thought joining them would offer the fun or friendship or social capital that we were after. And even in so-called spiritual circles, we may have sought to join with people who had qualities we wanted rather than doing the work to develop those qualities ourselves. Now, that example is a tricky one because, of course, we are very permeable. And when we are seeking to develop certain qualities, it really is important to surround ourselves with people who are exercising those qualities. But we do that with the understanding that we are in their company for the the teaching they provide, the example they provide, the accountability they provide, not just so that we can Hang out, hang out with them and hope that their good qualities just rub off on us without us having to do any work. The more we see through the lens of the Dharma, the more our mindfulness and metta, the more our mindfulness and, and unconditional goodwill can develop. The more we see our potential value to beings and become interested in community with others, or in involvement with causes or ideals for what we can offer rather than what we can get. The more we see through the lens of the Dharma, the more we approach things in that way. Then we become passionate in offering from our sense of fullness rather than lustful in trying to satisfy the demands of of a hungry ego. The last thing I want to draw our attention to is a radical aspect of Dharma, which teaches that the consummate practitioner has experienced cessation not only of unskillful habits and resolves, but also 
cessation of skillful habits and resolves. So this is something that came up last week as we studied the, the sutta. This cessation comes through practice and living the Eightfold Path. And this may seem shocking to us. Why would I want to let go of skillful, of all that skillfulness, especially after I've taken all that trouble to cultivate it? Right. So this week, just taking a different angle on considering that, helpful to recognize we are always starting over. Haven't you ever noticed that just as soon as you feel like you get really good at a job, then it's something changes, whether it is you get really good at your job and then they want to promote you to the next one, or you get really good at a job and something happens, the company gets bought out, you get laid off or you're moved to a different department, or your partner comes home and needs to relocate and you end up moving somewhere else, right? Or even when you get really good at dealing with a particular person that maybe was difficult for you before, and then just things change. Maybe it's a bit like cultivating a garden, right? When it bears fruit, just being willing to use or give away the food before it rots. We just sort of have to have that kind of, that kind of relinquishment, that kind of Opposite of clinging being relinquishment. So if we get attached even to our own skillful habits and resolves, if we get attached to our level of comfort, our sense of mastery, we'll suffer when life keeps changing, which is what it always does. And even our skillful habits and resolves can rot and become toxic if we try to hang on to them in situations where they are no longer relevant. Cessation of the unskillful comes about from practice of the path that cultivates the skillful. And then cessation of the skillful comes about from practice of that same path, just in a different set of conditions, different stage, different situation. Fortunately, the Dharma can be trusted to take care of itself. We don't have to figure that out to leave behind no trace of identity that clings, to create suffering when things change. It allows us to let go fully, to move from I am awake to there is only awakening here. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle.
And just a reminder that if you self-identify as a white woman or you have loved ones who do, take a look at heartwoodrefuge.org and at the retreat page, at the upcoming retreat, meet the manager, and also click through to take a look at scholarship eligibility to see if you might be able to do this retreat as a Himera Fellow. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.